talking about growing, that's what I'm actually talking about. In our journey through life, we often find ourselves captivated by the pursuit of growth in various aspects of our physical existence. And this longing for growth manifests in numerous forms, like the desire for professional advancement or the quest for knowledge and education, the nurturing of relationships and families, or even the cultivation of talents and hobbies. Some of us want to grow our social media following. We want to grow our bank account. Some of us want to grow hair. I mean, I can only say that because at some point in time in the future, I'll probably be losing a bunch of it. So I got to embrace it. We all have things that we want to grow in this life and that we want to see grow. But I want you to think about your spiritual life as I talk about growth this morning. You know, this growth that we want in our lives, it speaks to our innate drive for progress, our yearning to see fruit of our labor and our deep-seated need to contribute to something larger than ourselves. I mean, consider the gardener, or if you plant here, who toils diligently, sowing seeds with the hope and expectation of a bountiful harvest. There's something profoundly rewarding in witnessing the transformation of a tiny seed to a flourishing plant. I used to farm for many years. I know you're like, you used to farm? Yes. I planted corn, okras. I planted yams. I planted bananas, plantains, all kinds of things. And how defeating it would be if I planted all those corn, all those okras, and nothing came out out of the ground. We want to see fruit from what we're sowing into. And so, Think about it. Similarly, in our careers and personal endeavors, we invest time, energy, and resources, anticipating that these investments will yield success, recognition, and contentment. Think about the joy of seeing a child grow, learning and maturing into an independent individual. This mirrors our own aspirations for growth in various aspects of our lives. Think about the artist or musician dedicating hours to perfect their craft, which embodies the human spirit's relentless quest for improvement and mastery. Yet, as we navigate these pursuits, a critical question emerges, and I talked about it already, in the midst of our striving for growth in the physical realm, how are we nurturing our spiritual life? How are we nurturing our spiritual growth? See, while our earthly endeavors are not inherently bad, they can sometimes overshadow an even more significant aspect of our existence, our spiritual growth and relationship with God. See, the Bible, a timeless source of wisdom, offers profound insights into the importance of prioritizing our spiritual growth. In Matthew 6.33, Jesus tells us, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. And this verse reminds us that while it's normal to seek advancement in the physical world, our first priority should be our spiritual life. Seeking God's kingdom and living righteously according to his teachings. 
Similarly, in the parable of the sower in Matthew 13, Jesus speaks of the different types of soil representing the various ways people receive the word of God. And this parable underscores the importance of nurturing our hearts to be receptive to spiritual truths, allowing them to take root and flourish within us. Just as a seed struggles to grow in rocky or thorny soil, our spiritual growth can be stunted by an overemphasis on worldly pursuits and distractions. And moreover, the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Galatians contrasts the desires of the flesh with the fruit of the Spirit. You're familiar with this. You can find it in Galatians 5. But he points out that while our earthly desires are not inherently evil, they are incomparable to the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the goodness, the faithfulness, the gentleness, and self-control that comes from living by the Spirit. And these spiritual qualities are, are of eternal significance, transcending the temporary satisfaction derived from worldly achievements. In Philippians 3, 13 and 14, Paul speaks of forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, pressing on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called him. Paul was heavenward bound. He had that perspective. And this metaphor of a race not only exemplifies determination and focus, but prioritizes the spiritual journey over earthly accomplishments. See, Paul understood that no worldly achievement can compare to the ultimate prize of a life lived for Christ. Amen? Therefore, as we pursue growth in our physical lives, let us not lose sight of the paramount importance of our spiritual growth. Our endeavors in this world are fleeting, but our spiritual journey has eternal implications. The cultivation of our relationship with God, the nurturing of our faith, and the development of Christ-like character should be at the forefront of our aspirations. So it's with this intro, if you haven't figured it out as yet, we get into week three of our This Is Us series, and today we'll be looking at the whole idea of we grow, we grow. Let us open in a word of prayer. Father, as you breathe life into man in the garden, God, would your Holy Spirit breathe life into us this morning, Father? Breathe life into us by your words. In your mighty name I pray. Amen. You know, in my teen years, and maybe some of you here, if you're parents, you even got this for your kids, or if you're a grandparent, you got this, maybe for your grandkids who have grown up now. And so in my teen years, I had a breakaway magazine subscription. Let's not put it up just yet, Dave. I'll, I'll tell you when to put it up. And Breakaway was this magazine from Focus on the Family. I used to listen to, like, Adventures in Odyssey. I used to get Clubhouse Junior. And, and I know people have all kinds of opinions about Focus on the Family. That's not what we're about to do here, so keep tracking with me on this story. So my parents got me a Breakaway magazine subscription, and Breakaway helped me during my teen years. See, in the Caribbean, in the late 90s, 
there was a genre of music called rakas. And that is what we know today as dance hall. All right? And so rakas, I'll just refer to it as that, was popular everywhere. And I went to what we'd call public school, so I heard these songs every day. And it sounded something like this. I have a clip of those songs for you, so let's put it on. Yeah. I, I got to get more volume on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, that last song said, everyone falls in love sometimes. And here is, I, pro- I wasn't even a teen yet, by the way, but here is 11-year-old, 12-year-old Jesse uh, singing about everyone falls in love sometimes, and my mom did not find that too amusing. <laughs> and it was for this reason that my mom took away my cassette with those songs And my Walkman, because their son was going off to the deep end, which led to my breakaway subscription. So that is how it happened. (laughs) And don't get me wrong. As I said, breakaway helped me during my teenage years. But here's little Jesse on the other side of the world receiving this subscription monthly. They'd mail it out. It'd come to the P.O. box, and I'd tear it open. And I'd, as I got it, I'd just spend the rest of the uh, time reading through that whole book. And I kept learning on the other side of the world about all these bands and singers from the U.S. who dominated the Christian music scene in the mid to late 90s and early 2000s. I mean, nothing like some Reliant K and being 13 years old listening to who I am hits who I've been while simultaneously feeling guilty for all those mistakes when you were 12. That was like so stressful. You know, or how about jars of clay build up in the song Flood? You know, do you guys know what I'm talking about here? You know, like if I can't swim after 40 days, like... That, that build up in the song just gave me chills before the two acoustic guitars came in and the beat dropped. Or how about P.O.D.'s song? And P.O.D. was like a soft rock band from out of California. And they had this song, Youth of the Nation. And I feel so alive. And I really felt alive when I heard those songs. By the way, I just found out that P.O.D. stands for Payable on Death. I do with that what you may. But that's what it stands for. Or how about Plus One, the Christian boy band to InSync and Backstreet Boys? I would listen to their song written on my heart over and over and never really understood why I love this song so much. Or how about Toby Mac, DC Talk, Third Day, Amy Grant. By the way, Amy Grant is, when I was looking this up, Amy Grant is actually having a concert in Olympia later this month. You know, so like if you love yourself some immigrant, look it up. Maybe you can get some ticket to go see her. And I hear that she does this concert with her good friend, Michael W. Smith. And so apparently he'll be there. And I grew up on that, too. So Michael W. Smith is actually on this list. But how about Kirk Franklin, Newsboys, KJ52, Gospel Gangsters? I really listen to a 
<laughs> I really listened to her group, you know. And so my mom was taking me away from all this rockers and dance hall. But here I am listening to like grunge music, listening to like rap music. And she's like, what is happening with this kid? What about T-Bone? What about Super Chick? I grew up on this stuff. I could just go on and on. Breakaway kept me in the loop. And as I was reflecting on all this in my home office on Friday, you know, I, I was actually in the office and I, as I was just reminiscing on these songs, I pulled up some of them on my Spotify and I was just like going for it. And my wife came in and she's like, what's happening? I see you doing some hand movements and things in there. I told her, I'm just having, a, I'm just having some fun here. You hear about Throwback Thursday. I was having like Flashback Friday. <laughs> But as I was reflecting on all this in my home office, it brought me back to Breakaway's edition on Switchfoot. I used to listen to them as well. You can put it up. Switchfoot. And I remember how I'd listened to their song titled Dare You to Move, and it just made me feel like anything was and is possible. Anything was and is possible. And so here's that edition of where they introduced that. And... Uh, I want you to listen to a few lines of this song. I have the, uh, a small bite of it here. And I want you to listen to the words of Dare You to Move. I listened to all kinds of music growing up. I still listen to all kinds of music. But if you didn't catch the lines there, this is what it says. It says the tension is here. The tension is here between who you are and who you could be, between how it is and how it should be. I dare you to move. I dare you to move. And I want... Those lines, in many ways, specifically the one between who you are and who you could be, between how it is and how it should be, if that tension is in your life, I am going to dare you to move. I am going to dare you to take the next step in your spiritual growth. I am going to dare you to move to the next level of spiritual growth in your life. To move from where you are now to where you could be on a road to both spiritual life and spiritual maturity. See, what I want to say to us today is something that if you've got kids, you probably told them this. Or if someone was getting on your nerves and you wanted to sound all mature, or maybe you are mature, you told them something like this. You told them, grow up. You told them, grow up. And if you're a parent, usually these words were used whenever your child was throwing a fit because they weren't getting their way. And they're nagging you and you're at the end of your parent as a rope and you say these magic words. It's time to grow up. And this is exactly what God tells us in his word. Ephesians 4, 14 and 15, it says, Then we will, be, will no longer be infants 
tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is, Christ. God does not want you to stay a spiritual baby. He wants you to grow up. Grow up by studying his word, by trusting his heart, by obeying his commands, and by developing his character. See, many people are saved, but they are shallow. And we don't want to be Christians who are a mile wide, but an inch deep. See, I remember the story of a little boy, and maybe you've heard this, and maybe this has happened to you, or you've seen this happen to your kids or grandkids, or maybe this happens to you as an adult as well. But I remember the story of a little boy who fell out of bed in the middle of the night. When his mother rushed to the room to ask him what had happened, he said, Mommy, I don't know. I guess I stayed too close to where I got in. And you know what? Far too many people do that in their spiritual life. They do what they need to do to get into God's family and become one of God's children, but they never grow up. Over and over we are told that God wants us to grow up. Ephesians 4.15, we just read it. We are to grow up in every way unto him who is the head into Christ. Hebrews 6.1 says, so let us stop going over the basics of Christianity again and again. Let us go on instead and become mature. 1 Peter 2.2 says, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk. Of the word of God, that by it you may grow up to salvation. Now, if God's goal for you is growth, then the church's goal for you should also be growth. And please get this next statement in your heart. At LifeSpring, we can help you grow, but we cannot make you grow. If you are going to grow and if you are going to be on the road to spiritual maturity and if you realize it is time to grow up, then you must agree to the following things I'll be talking about here. Three points I'll have for you. The first one is this. We must desire spiritual maturity. We must desire it. Not only does God want us to grow, but we must want to grow. The Apostle Paul often compared the Christian life to athletics. He made this statement in 1 Timothy 4, 7. He said, take time and trouble to keep yourselves spiritually fit. Everybody, and I mean everyone, starts out in God's family the same way. If you are a follower of Christ, think back to when you first became one. At that time, you most likely knew very few, if any, Bible verses, right? At that time, you knew very little, if any, spiritual truth and any deep teaching from the Bible would have just gone over your head completely. We all pretty much started out that way. But here is the point. There's nothing wrong with being a baby, but there is plenty wrong with staying a baby. If you're a parent in here, just think about your kid. I mean, do you want that kid to remain a baby for the rest of their lives? Like, that is brutal. 
Right? That is brutal to, to, to even think about that. Listen again to what First Peter 2.2 2 says. It says, we are to desire the milk of the word like newborn babies. The reason why we are to come to the Bible like it is milk and like we are babies is because that is what we are. The problem is too many Christians never get out of their diapers. We have churches today. That are filled with baby Christians. I'm talking about adults who spiritually are still in the nursery. It is a very fitting description because the characteristic of a baby that is most descriptive is selfish. And please, I don't have anything against babies and kids, all right? (laughs) But do you realize that the most selfish person in the world is a baby? Think about it. Like, think about it. They rule your life. They just had kids, or a little one over here, like rule your life in so many ways, you know. Babies are completely self-centered. If they don't get what they want, when they want it, what do they do? Cry. Whose needs do they care about? Their own. Whenever you give them what they want, do they ever thank you? No. Do they ever try to help somebody else? No. Do they ever give you anything except what they deposit in their diapers? No. All a little baby does is take, and all a little baby care about is themselves. And that is why it is so important that we grow spiritually. It is important to understand that spiritual maturity is a process, not a destination. It is a never-ending journey that won't be totally completed until we get to heaven. There is a process that you have to follow that takes you from being a baby to a young person to an adult in Christ. You need to understand that spiritual maturity and spiritual growth is not automatic. And when you hear me use those words, spiritual maturity and spiritual growth, I'm just talking about how we grow here, all right? We have to decide to grow. You've got to make an effort to grow and you've got to continue to grow. Another story here for you about a man who went into a department store. He picked up a game of chess, took it to the salesman and said, tell me how to play it as you wrap the package. We laugh. But isn't that descriptive of our situation Like, we want to know how to do it quickly. We don't want to take the time to follow each necessary step. Let me tell you, no fascination is keener than our fascination with shortcuts. We love a good shortcut. I do. We want a dream. Well, we dream long for instant maturity. I mean, think about it. Over 50% of the products in our grocery stores were not there 10 years ago. The great bulk of these new products are in the frozen and instant food department. That's the kind of world in which we live in. Instant pudding, instant rice, instant coffee, instant breakfast, instant potatoes, instant you fill in the blank. It's little wonder, really, that that has permeated all of life. And we want instant religion and instant maturity. It doesn't work that way. We're fascinated with shortcuts and the microwave oven has become a household symbol for how we now live. 
But despite our fascination with shortcuts, there is no instant maturity. And this is patently true in the Christian life, in Christian maturity. It's all about process, not product. Spiritual maturity is a process, not a product. The product that you get in the process is spiritual maturity. And when we fail to take responsibility for the maturing process all along the way, time outwits us. Our opportunities pass, doors close, roadblocks are set up. And what might have been goes before us like a vapor in the wind. Have you heard that song? So I encourage you, friends, nail it down. Spiritual maturity is a process, not a product. Spiritual maturity is intentional. It requires commitment. It requires effort. It requires determination. And it requires work. Do you remember how we just read that we should crave God's word just like a baby craves milk? This is exactly how we should hunger for spiritual growth. When you really want to grow as much as a baby craves milk, then you will be on the road that can lead to deeper spiritual maturity. But I think sometimes we don't want to put in the work. You got to put in the work. Which brings me to my second point. We must develop spiritual maturity. We must develop it. I mean, and how does this process begin? What does it involve? What are the steps that I must take? What are the steps that we must take? Well, we have read a couple of times already this morning that if we want to grow, we must feed on the spiritual milk of God's word. Put simply, if spiritual maturity is going to be a priority in your life, then reading your Bible and having a quiet time must become a priority in your life. We cannot scroll through social media for an hour and watch television for three hours and never read the Bible and expect to grow. Like it doesn't happen. At the end of last year, we announced our Bible reading plan that takes you through the Bible in a year. And friend, let me tell you, if you haven't started, you can begin today. You can begin today. And then in the next 12 months, you will have read the Bible completely through. Do you realize if you will read the Bible For just 15 minutes a day, you can read through it completely in a year. But how about this? If you were to cut out one 30-minute television show or program a day that you really like and read your Bible instead, you can read through the entire Bible twice in a year. You know, I, I, I recently read some interesting statistics. I've talked here before about the... Bible reading statistics in the church. But Barna just recently did a new survey on pastors and leaders. And it says that in the pulpit today, in the American church, in the U.S., 37% of pastors have a biblical understanding and biblical theological understanding of what they're teaching and preaching. 37%. 37%. We got to read our word. We got to read our word. Do you know what the Bible really is? It's God's manual for maturity. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction, and righteousness. Each one of these... Or each one of those purposes is very important. The Bible gives us doctrine 
That means it tells us what is right. It then gives us reproof so that we can know what is not right. It then gives us correct, correction to tell us how to get it right. And then it gives us instruction so we can know how to stay right. Having said that, I want to emphasize the importance of reading the Bible and studying the Bible to grow spiritually. I don't want to overemphasize it. And what do I mean by that? Well, some people think that all you need to grow, all you need to do to grow is Bible study. The truth is that is just one part of spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity includes worshiping and praising God, building relationships within the church, using your spiritual gifts in ministry to do other people to, to, to minister to other people, sharing Jesus with those who don't know him. I mean, how can they know otherwise? In other words, spiritual growth occurs when you participate in all of those areas for which God has put you here. In worship, in fellowship, in ministry, in missions, in evangelism. See, I've known a lot of Christians who thought they were spiritually mature because they were deep Bible students, because they attended many Bible meetings, because they went to Bible seminary or they went to seminary and had a lot of Bible knowledge. But I agree with something Rick Warren says. This is what he says. The last thing many believers need is to go to another Bible study. They already know far more than they are putting into practice. What they need are ministry and evangelism experiences where they can apply what they already know. Relational experiences like a small group where they can be held accountable for what they know, and meaningful worship experiences where they can express appreciation to God for what they know. That's good, isn't it? Stings a little bit, doesn't it? (laughs) What I want you to understand is, everything you do is a part of maturity. When you come to the worship service and truly try to experience worship and listen to God's word, That is a part of maturity. When you listen to the preaching of God's word and apply it to your life, that is a part of maturity. When you give financially and support God's work, that is a part of maturity. When you are involved in a small group where you are building relationship, that is a part of maturity. When you serve in some capacity and minister to the needs of others, that is a part of maturity. When you share your faith with non-believers, that is a part of spiritual maturity. That isn't all-inclusive, by the way. There's much more. Those are just some highlights for you. Everything a church does should be ultimately with the thought in mind of making disciples and maturing disciples. This is the one thing that as a church we can do that nobody else can do and that we can do better than anybody else. We can only go so far, though. We can only provide you with so many resources. You must determine To develop your spiritual maturity for yourself. My last point is this. If we're developing it, then we must demonstrate spiritual maturity. Many churches evaluate spiritual maturity in two ways. What you know and when you show. In other words, spiritual maturity is measured by how much of the Bible you know and how many times you show up in church. Sounds good. If you attend regularly and you know Bible basics, then the thought is you're mature. However, I'd like to tell you not so fast. 
Not so fast, my friend. The next statement, this one I'm about to say, will be one of the most important statements I will make today. Spiritual maturity is demonstrated more by how you behave than it is by what you believe. In fact, what you believe or say you believe doesn't matter if you do not behave like you believe or what you say you believe. James, Jesus' half-brother, said, Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show it by his good behavior. And this is why the real mark of spiritual maturity is simply obeying God. Obeying God. James said once again, do not deceive yourselves by just listening to his word. Instead, put it into practice. James 1.21 Friends, real maturity is not just learning what the Bible says, but practically applying it in the different circumstances that come up in your life. I want you to think about that for just a moment. Think about the tremendous benefits of spiritual maturity and spiritual growth in your life. I have a few here. A few came to mind, but maybe you can think of some more. The personal benefits. As you spiritually mature, you grow closer to God. You grow deeper in your faith and you grow stronger in difficulties. What about family and individual benefits? The more spiritually mature you are, the better spouse you will be, the better mother you will be, the better father you will be, the better brother or sister you will be, and the better family you will have. Family, it's the foundation of our society. Spiritual benefits. When you are spiritually mature, God can do more in you, with you, and through you. You can have a greater impact on the lives of other people. See, God is so determined to get you on the road to spiritual maturity that everything that happens in your life, either good or bad, can play a part in your spiritual growth if you would allow Him to use it. I'm sure if we went around this room, so many of you can listen, talk about the horrible things that have happened to you. And I'm sorry that those things have happened. I have many of those stories. But if I allowed those things to make my heart callous and bitter, rather than turning it over to the Lord and say, Lord, would you use this even for your glory? Oh, what he would do in us and through us. To quote James, just one more time, he said, Whenever trouble comes your way, let it be an opportunity for joy. For when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be strong in character and ready for anything. Ready for anything. So today, I am going to dare you to move. Let me just say this. Here at LifeSpring, we want to help every person that is willing to continue their spiritual progress. Like, we're all open to that. We have next level classes, life groups, so many outreaches, so many other things. We want to help you to move one step closer in your spiritual journey. EHS, Emotional Health and Spirituality. I've done it probably about five times. And each time I've done it, I've learned something new about myself, but also grown in my relationship with the Lord. I encourage you, join us here. This Thursday, you won't want to miss it. 
And so we, we want to help everyone move one step closer in their spiritual journey. But again, please understand that maturity is a process and certainly involves more than just being part of a small group or coming here on a Sunday morning. You got to put in some work yourself. Spiritual maturity begins with the surrender of your life to Christ. You cannot grow until you are born again. And in order to be born into God's family, you must trust Christ to save you. But if you've made that commitment, you got to keep surrendering and keep surrendering and keep surrendering and keep surrendering. That is how you grow spiritually mature. You know, at this point in time, I'd like to invite my wife up to the platform as she will be sharing a personal testimony of what this has looked like in her life as a believer over the years. There is this thought I've been trying to explain to my daughter. Um, We've talked about this, that we don't know anyone until we meet them. So in the years prior to our meeting, they were growing towards who they are when our paths cross. Take, for example, me. In this building, you see me as a wife to Pastor Jesse, but you can't tell who I was five years, 10 years, 20 years ago. You don't know me as the party goer who quit clubbing because hands in the air Under the influence of many drinks, I realized that the music the DJ was playing was Kirk Franklin's Stomp. I heard, GP, are you with me? Oh yeah, we're having church, we're not going anywhere. And I was flabbergasted. The past Christian in me thought I was committing sacrilege. Lowered my arms, put down my drink, walked out into the fresh island night air and vowed that clubbing was not going to be a part of my life ever again. But you don't know that person because about a year later, I gave my life to Christ and determined that I was going to do this for real. And to ensure that, I started reading my Bible. At the time, I was in an unhealthy marital situation, my previous marriage. It felt so dire, so painful, so stressful. And it's hard for me to talk about this now, so many years afterward, going back and digging into these memories of who I was and where I was, to try to give you the encouragement that no matter where you find yourself right now, reading the Word of God will make a difference in your life. In that first year of being in a relationship with the Lord, I read the Bible voraciously. I still do. Recognizing, though, that I starved spiritually. There were many pivotal moments when scripture jumped out at me in that first year and directed me or showed me how I was to behave in a certain situation. But I'll quickly share with you three that were extremely directional for me. So you've heard me talk about living on an island, and I lived on this island for six years before I became a Christian. And so you've heard me talk about the way I dressed at the time. I dressed like I lived on an island. In other words, short tight, skimpy, share. Oh, wow. All S-words. You get the picture. This was how I dressed to go to church every Sunday. Someone must have been praying for me because one day, only a couple of months 
into my new relationship with Jesus, I read a verse that changed that one aspect of my life. 1 Timothy 2.9. Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modesty, modestly and discreetly. And as I read that verse, the images of my clothes flashed before me, and I knew they were anything but modest. And I reluctantly said, okay, Lord, and made a decision to change my wardrobe. So keep in mind, I was still a very young Christian. So when I told my younger sister she could have all my clothes, because I was now going to be a modest Christian woman, she was rightly offended. She did take the clothes, though. (laughs) Anyway, getting back to the life-changing word I encountered that first year of being a Christian To me, the Bible was this wealth of information on how to live, and I needed that. At the time I became a Christian, I've told you this before, I lived in a bat-infested home. And so every day, three times a day, I swept up guano from the bathroom. And so this story just goes to show you that no matter your situation or your circumstance, the Word of God is still powerful. One night when everyone was asleep, I went to the bathroom, and after I had swept the floor, I sat in it and opened my Bible, and I read a couple verses that went deeper than clothing. Colossians 3, 12 to 13. So, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Those words stopped me in my tracks. The smell of guano seeping into my nostrils because you know there's just some smells you don't get immune to. I thought about the marital situation I was in and realized this was the direction I needed. I was chosen. I was beloved. I was forgiven by God. And therefore... I was to put on a heart of compassion and gentleness, and I was to forgive. And so that is what I set out to do. Those verses are extremely clear in how Christ followers should be, and I aspired and still aspire to their lofty goals. The third point I'll share today for my first year as a Christian is what reading the Sermon on the Mount did for me. In Matthew 5 to 7, Jesus' words about drilling down to our motives And that it doesn't matter what we show on the outside, it's who we are on the inside that matters, became a foundation for how I live my life. As a result, I always ask myself, and I will ask Jesse too when he asks my opinion on something, what is the motive here? Why am I thinking about doing this or that? Is it to gain man's approval or God's? But all that was from my first year as a Christian over 20 years ago. And I want to wrap this up by telling you about something that happened to me last year. One Sunday afternoon in August, I got some devastating news. Resorting to my usual emotional outlet, I went for a brisk walk. I cried as I walked. I had my headphones in, but I wasn't listening to anything. My thoughts were wild and swirling, like, what should I do now? How do I make sense of this? I knew I needed to calm down, but instead my heart raced as I sped through the walk route I used every day. And then about a mile in, I had started to breathe easier when I felt more than heard 
Psalm 37. I finally took the time to look at the passage a couple of days later and recognized that it was exactly what I needed in this situation. Psalm 37 became what I read every day for months. It gave me inner strength and provided a way forward as I prayed for guidance. It quieted my heart. I grieved, but I could do nothing to change my circumstances. However, I could take my eyes off of the situation and people involved and focus my attention instead on God and what I could do to help myself. I loved the promises in the psalm, but realized that it also gave specific steps I needed to take in the days and months that followed. Do not fret. Do not be envious. Cease from anger. Trust in the Lord and do good. Live in the moment. Practice faithfulness. So these became my focus. I kept praying through Psalm 37, breaking it down verse by verse and reading what others had said about the psalm. And I noticed that I started to change. Daily, I felt the anger fade away, allowing space for forgiveness, and I softened inside. And that was such a relief. The internal work didn't change the circumstances, but it helped me to come out on the other side of the fire. The word of God has the power to do this great work in all of us if we read it and do what it says. Each of us can have a story of who we were before and who we are today because the work has done its good work of growing us. Each of us can and should have a story like the one I shared today where we can say we changed in different areas of our lives because we read something in the Bible and then did what it said. It doesn't matter where you are in your Christian walk. You need the word for continued growth, whether you're just starting out or you've been on this journey for a long time. Even if you've not felt the need to read the word for yourself before, and by listening to us today you think you want to start but don't know where to, I can picture Jesus just waiting for you to open the book and start hearing from him for yourself. He wants to share the Bible with you, and today is as good a day to start as any, so that when you meet someone next year, five years, 10 years, 20 years from now, they will meet you as a new and growing person. I want to call up the worship team at this time. And I'll close out with a few things for you to consider. And they'll pull them up, up on the screen real fast here for you. The first one is be nourished by the word. This is the foundation of our growth. Second Peter 3.18 and Psalm 1, 1-3. The fruit of the spirit depicts evidence of growth in our life. Three, we must be transformed into his image. This is the goal of growth. Four, we can't grow without the help of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit illuminates the Word and is the mechanism for growth. Lastly, we are called to the duty of empowering the next generation. As we grow in our faith, it's vital that we don't journey alone. We are called to disciple and empower the next generation, passing on the wisdom and an understanding we've gained. Our growth 
It's not just for us. It's to equip us to cultivate faith in others, to be mentors and guides in their spiritual journeys. So let us commit to being vessels through which the Holy Spirit can work, not only in our lives, but in the lives of those around us. And even as I'm speaking, maybe some people might be coming to mind. Maybe these are your own kids. Maybe this is someone in your family. Maybe this is someone at work. Friends, I encourage you. My three points. We must desire spiritual maturity. We must develop spiritual maturity. We must demonstrate spiritual maturity. Amen? Amen. Thank you. Amen. Well,